listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 228. How's it going, Mark? Well, considering we had to like bar the doors and the windows so we could record in peace, it's going. Oh yeah, my dog. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what else is going on, Paige? It's more like what isn't going on. <laughs> Do you know what we have coming up very soon? Our live event. Our live event called Here and Now. It's Thursday, February eighteenth. So by the time you hear this, you probably have just an hour or two <laughs> to sign up before it's sold out. It's our celebration of our one millionth download for Oil and Gas this week. Can you believe, Paige, that this show has been downloaded over a million times? Yeah, I actually can. <laughs> it took a couple of years, but well, you know, for any podcast, that's a lot, and for something as niche as we are, it's literally a world record. So we're so happy, audience, that that you stuck with us all this time. But we're also announcing our new shows. We're going to thank and salute our sponsors. We have a secret announcement that Paige, you know what that is, but don't say anything. Well, yeah, <laughs> and. Part of our proceeds, as usual, go to fight human sex trafficking, so come help us fund the fight. The link will be in the show notes, so if you want to go, we're going to have 80 seats available here in Houston. It's $50 a seat, but like I said, that money's going to fight human sex trafficking. And if you can't or don't want to show up in person, join the live stream. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. We're doing stuff that's out of the box for us, and we got a whole bunch of cool announcements and new stuff coming, so go check it out, peeps. And it looks like we got a review. Yeah, it's a five-star. Love the show unions hey mark and page given the news please talk broadly on what you see as positives and negatives regarding the unions in the energy sector upstream midstream downstream keep up the good work jeremiah from siemens actually i think it's less than he looks like he says he's former slb so yeah. big blue so even though it's not a question for first friday q a just real quick let's talk about this so in the U.S., labor laws are pretty mature, and unions actually were the basis of that. Unions formed when workers had no rights, and big companies basically misused their workers. Unions were formed to give the workers leverage, which worked, and it was not always fun and, and games for the unions. There's a lot of strife, a lot of pushback, a lot of political pushback, financial pushback, physical conflicts. But here in the U.S., we have labor laws now. So for me, especially in the the craft labor parts, so the pipe fitters, machinists, welders, those unions don't serve as big advantages they used to, and they also take a cut of employees' pay. Now, at the same time, they also help protect employees, like if there's a temporary layoff or a strike or something. But for me, I think the advantages of unions, especially in craft labor in the U.S., probably are nil. It's time I think we've kind of outgrown them. Now, the rest of the world is a different story, once again, because the lack of labor laws. When you start getting into unions that are very niched, electrical unions, telecom, that sort of stuff, all that stuff really is antiquated. And, and please, if you're a union member, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with your union. I'm just saying that my personal beliefs are that they no longer, the benefit is about equal to the to the cost. So I just don't think it serves the greater good like they used to in the U.S., but they served a greater good for a very long time. To Jeremiah, I'm personally not a big fan of unions here in the U.S. and actually not in Europe either, but in the rest of the world, they definitely serve their purpose. So hopefully it's useful to you. All right. So let's get into the news stories. I wish I was drinking something stronger. <laughs> You're not today? <laughs> no, just coffee. All right, so DOE announces new senior leaders. Yeah, so this is, of course, to be expected. This is the changing of the guard. So the Department of Energy has new leaderships or will soon have new leaderships. 
The most interesting one is the new chief of staff. So Tarak Shai is the first Indian American, first openly LGBTQ person to hold the position, which I think is freaking awesome. He's been in politics for a long time. His viewpoints, if you go to his LinkedIn profile, this kind of, you know, if you're trying to figure out where he sits politically and what he thinks about the Department of Energy and our future in the U.S. as far as Paris Accord and all that stuff, I'm going to read his LinkedIn profile tagline, fighting the climate emergency with everything I've got. So that should help you understand where he sits politically. Mm-hmm. Young guy, actually a lot of experience, a lot of political experience, very heavily involved in the Obama administration, very heavily involved in, he was in the Department of Energy for a long time. You know, he worked on the Special Council for Environmental Equality. He has a very good education, master's MBA from Cornell University. Quite frankly, I don't know enough about him yet to predict what he's going to do, how he's going to direct the department. I suspect, like a lot of the other nominations, that it's going to be very pro-renewable, very anti-hydrocarbon, and also expecting that the American people will pay for for whatever they want to to do with the, the Department of Energy or the Department of Energy, how it affects our economy and our business and all that sort of stuff. So I'm going to give them a, a little period to actually see what they do. Now, if you look at some of the other appointments, they are they are absolutely left wing environmentalists. I'm sorry, I hate to use that in a negative term because I am an environmentalist myself. But a lot of the other appointments are extremely to the left side politically. Let's see what they do. I got a feeling what they're going to do, but I'm not going to go ahead and denounce the new leaders, the new senior leadership team at Department of Energy. I want to see what they're going to actually do. So I hope they do the right thing for Americans and for the Department of Energy and for the federal government. So we'll see. All right. So next one, Biden puts U.S. on path to rejoining the Paris climate deal. You know, this is really interesting. So we pulled out of the Paris climate deal. Trump did an executive action and what I didn't realize up until recently is that the parent climate deal was actually a treaty, like a legal Yeah, yeah, treaty. I knew that. So by making an executive action, you kind of skip the process that we use here in the U.S. to join the leave treaties. If Trump would have taken the time to actually go through Congress, and at some point he probably would have pulled it off, then this current administration couldn't use executive actions to reenter the treaty because the government of the United States would have said, we don't want to be a part of this, right? And you can't just turn that around. But because Trump didn't, it allowed Biden to come in and actually do a Another executive action and re-enter. I'm not going to go through all the problems with the Paris climate deal. First thing, it's unrealistic. Second thing, there's no way you can meet the metrics that they want you to meet. The third thing is, Paige, our greenhouse gases have been declined, have declined about 27% since the 80s without the Paris climate deal. Right. So we're headed in the right direction. The other thing that is really not fair is that basically from a financial point of view, they want all the members of the Paris climate deal to chip in the same amount of money. And then the countries that have the most pollution, like China, get a larger share of that money to help them fight greenhouse gases. So why should the U.S., who has declined in greenhouse gases since for the last 30 years, why should we pay for other countries so they can lower their greenhouse gases? Well, I don't know if you know this. America is apparently a bank. So, <laughs> I mean, we just give money to everybody yeah. except for our own country. So, hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if y'all listen to the show at any length of time, you know that I am very much against the parents' climate accord. One, because you can't pull it off. It's not realistic. Two is that it gives people, it gives citizens around the world faith that something really good for the planet's going to happen, and it's not. And the third thing is it's unfair financially. I think when President Trump decided to pull out of that, I think it set expectations with the rest of the world. It's like, whoa, to your point, Paige, the U.S. isn't going to keep writing blank checks for other countries. Right. 
Now I'm hoping that the world doesn't reverse that decision and start thinking that, to your point once again, that the U.S. is a bank for whatever else the world decides to do. And then finally, it just bothers me. Actually, and I have not read the entire the Paris Climate Deal. I have not read the entire thing because it's almost impossible to read. It literally probably take me six months to read. But I have seen the abstracts and I have read in detail some of the process that they want to follow. And honestly, some of it doesn't follow science at all. Some of it is pure pure speculation. So if you really think that carbon dioxide especially is detriment to the planet today in 2021, why would you want to enter an agreement where that money and that time is not going to be spent trying to lower CO2 emissions? I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. But once again, we're entered it. Maybe the best thing that could come out of this is maybe with the U.S. stepping back into it and rejoining the Paris climate deal, maybe we can renegotiate. So let's hope that our, our leaders and our scientists can help maybe try to move the needle in the deal itself and make it more realistic. All right. Next one is Biden set to freeze oil leasing on federal land. <sighs> this is going to be the Mark getting mad show. <laughs> yeah, so we knew this was coming. All the operators knew this was coming. Right. And there's something in this article that bothered me. So in order to mitigate this risk, every operator, and I've talked to most of them over over my last 25 years, and I've talked to them a lot lately in the last five years, most of them saw this as a risk. The way they mitigate this risk is that they applied for permits, so they basically had a bank of permits, so that when the new administration came in and they put a freeze on permitting, all the operators would be fine, right? Well, guess what they're doing? They're now going back, and with these permits that were already issued, they're saying you missed crossing the T or you missed dotting the I. They're nitpicking, and they're saying that these permits, some of these permits are invalid, and they're telling the operator they're not going to be fine. They just have to cease operations. That was unexpected. I did not expect them to come back and and, and pick and, and disqualify a lot of permits which were issued. I would be okay with them freezing or disqualifying permits that were in the permitting process. But these are ones that have already went through the process, already been proved, that the operators have already taken possession of, that the operators have already built CapEx budgets around. This short-term freeze is probably going to lead to longer-term moratorium on new leases. I told you, audience, this in the very beginning. I told you this at the end of last year. This looks really bad, but the truth is it's really only about 3% of the drillable land. It's not going to really make a difference in the immediate, you know, next three or four months. At six to eight or 10 months, depending if they extend the moratorium, it'll start making a difference. And what it's going to do, the world is going to continue to use hydrocarbons. And so here in the U.S., if we put in things like this that drive the cost up, that limit hydrocarbons, number one, the hydrocarbons are going to come from somewhere else. And I promise you, if you're worried about the environment and the planet, you would rather these hydrocarbons be sourced from the U.S. where we have environmental quality, we have HS&E metrics where we care about stuff. Then where we have a system in place. Yeah. Or if not, we'll be buying these hydrocarbons from, let's say, the Middle East or Russia. Who so don't there have goes this. our energy independence. There goes our energy independence, but it also is worse for the planet. Right. So you're not going to ever stop the demand for hydrocarbons. All you're going to do, and this is probably be a theme for this whole show, is move those that hydrocarbon production outside of the U.S. where there's less control and less cost caused by the federal government. So we'll keep an eye on this. I'm not worried about this now. I am worried about it when the 60 days is up to see what they do after that. There's also speculation that they're looking at ways to stop production in the Gulf of Mexico. I really hope that that's just a rumor. I don't see from a legal point of view how they would do that and not be challenged in court and not lose. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen anything in writing. Yeah. If 
for some reason that I don't know about, they can actually pull that off. That's going to be a death knell to our economy. Basically, in a very short amount of time, all the major operations here in the U.S. will be shifted outside the U.S., all the jobs, all the tax money. The U.S. will still consume hydrocarbons at a higher price. Instead of spending $30 to fill up your gas tank in your car, you're going to spend 100 bucks. So let's just hope it doesn't go there. But for now, this freeze on all leasing on federal land is not that big a deal, but we are absolutely going to keep an eye on this. All right. So the next one is Alberta leader urges Keystone retaliation. This gets interesting. Love this. Love this. Love this. So let me kind of talk backwards about Keystone because I actually had some people reach out to me that I thought would understand how this is working. And and to my surprise, they really didn't. So there's a demand for Canadian crude in the U.S. And you've heard me talk about my predictions, how I think that what's happening now may actually help the Canadian oil and gas market. You've heard me talk before about how we love those heavy, complex crudes that most countries can't refine, but we can. So the demand for the Canadian crude has always been there. It goes up or down, of course, but we're buying Canadian crude now. The problem is we're shipping it by rail and by boat and by truck, which is very dangerous for the environment. It's also more dangerous for the people. It also adds cost. This pipeline, which is simply an infrastructure project, has become a political nightmare for the last five years. And this is just another gut punch to this project, which really needs to be completed. When we complete, if we complete this project, and I can't yeah. believe I just said, if we're going to complete Keystone, and never in a million years thought that would come out of my mouth. But if we complete Keystone, we can pull all that oil that's being transported by rail and truck off the road, which is safer for everybody and much safer for the environment. And will lower the cost, which will keep the cost of refined products like gasoline low. Now, what's going on now is that the leader of Canadians, basically the Canadians, Texas, their heartland, is just basically said this Keystone project cancellation by Biden's administration is an insult to them. And it's going to really hurt the Alberta and Canadian economies. So, you know, there's a lot of money involved in this. There's a lot of legal wrangling that's going back and forth. Just by the announcement of Biden's administration to kill the Keystone pipeline, literally just by the announcement, 2,000 people lost their jobs, right? People that were geared up to finish doing construction on this. And weren't there unions? Oh, they're absolutely unions, which is weird because typically the Democrats are very pro-union. These are the pipe fitters union. So, you know, so even the unions probably are taking a step back going, what the heck is going on? This is our party. And what's bad is we've managed to piss off a country that normally doesn't get mad. Oh, there's nice. <laughs> Our Canadian brothers and sisters, y'all have a weird sense of humor sometimes, but y'all don't ever really get mad. Now they're pissed. So now they're pissed, and they're looking at imposing tariffs <laughs> against the U.S. Well. Yeah. And I don't blame them. I think it's justified. I think, honestly, if that's one of the weapons in their toolbox in the negotiation, they should pull it out and yep. use it. But when would you have ever thought that Canada would impose trade sanctions against us? Well. That's where we've gotten this to, people. And this is all a direct result of U.S. politics. Right. So I don't want to say I'm going to keep my eye on this because I have no choice. It's going to happen no matter what. Paige, I can't believe I'm going to go this way. I think this project may be dead. I think this may be the last straw on the camel's back to kill Keystone. There are other, the other thing that people don't understand is there's already other pipelines that are able to carry that heavy crude from Canada to the Gulf Coast in piecemeal. So there's no one complete pipeline, but you buy transport on three or four different pipeline companies and you can now move that oil down here now in a pipeline. So as much as I hate to say it, and as much as I don't want it to happen, this may be the straw that broke the camel's back for Keystone, which is just a damn shame. All right. So next one, this is probably my favorite of the articles. Governor Abbott issues executive order relating to protection of Texas energy industry from federal overreach. You know what this is? It's a big middle finger. Mm -hmm. This is our governor saying, hey, see this line I just draw in the sand? 
Mm-hmm. Don't freaking cross it. Yeah. So and there's a whole bunch of declarations in here. But I like the actual therefore part. So uh, I now, liked it so much, I printed it out on paper. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I, Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, by virtue of the power and authority vested in me by the Constitution and laws of the state of Texas, hereby direct every state agency to use all lawful powers and tools to challenge any federal action that threatens the continued strength, vitality, and independence of the energy industry. Each state agency should work to identify potential litigation notice and common opportunities and any other means of preventing federal overreach within the law. This executive order supersedes all previous orders. So basically, and I have some people in, in state politics here, basically when the federal government is going to want to do things like unnecessary flare inspection, mm-hmm. the state of Texas is going to say, Department of Transportation, do they have the right stickers on their trucks? Hmm. Oh, not going to let them cross the border. Oh, Department of Immigration, do they have the right mix of employees in their in their federal agency according to the federal statute? Otherwise, we're not going to do business with them. And it's just literally the governor of Texas going, the gloves are off. I've had enough. We're not going to go down this route. And I'm not always a big fan of Abbott, but I tell you what, I really love the fact that he did this. This is putting him politically in a very risky place. This is pitching him against a lot of powerful people who don't like our industry. So, you know, hats off for Governor Abbott to issue this executive order and really look at protecting. What he's doing, he's trying to protect jobs and and, and tax revenue. Yeah, he's trying to protect his state. That is his job. And he's doing a good job with this. So I would not be surprised if somewhere down the road there is a middle finger meme with Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I think there already is, Mark. Is there really? Probably. All right. So this one, this one's interesting. De Blasio moves to ban natural gas hookups. Literally, our only choice is renewable energy. So first thing, um, not sure where de Blasio went to school, but that solves nothing. Number one, if you limit natural gas, which is what he's trying to do by 2030. So basically, he's not physically letting companies and buildings use natural gas after 2030 and make them all use electricity. You want to guess where electricity is probably going to come from? (laughs) Natural gas. Yeah. (laughs) But because there's a layer of transformation, so you're converting that energy of natural gas, the potential energy to electricity, there's a loss, and that loss adds cost. So long-term-wise, by turning natural gas into electricity and then heating the the building with electricity, it's going to cost you more than Mm -hmm. if you just would have heated the building with the natural gas. Because things aren't already expensive in New York or anything. Yeah. And it's, I don't want to, actually, I am. It's funny. It's funny that they're that ignorant about how energy works. New York has already destroyed, especially Manhattan, has already destroyed a lot of their long-term businesses and a lot of their tourist business from all the riots and burning and looting that happened last year in the crazy year. And now this is just another nail in the coffin. You're going to have companies that are going, you know what? I'm not building an office building there. I'm not moving my location there. Or you have established company go, you know what? It costs too much to heat our offices in the winter. I'm moving to Texas. Well, Mark, this is coming from someone that has been criticized for taking a chauffeured SUV 11 miles from his residence in Gracie Mansion on the Upper East Side of Manhattan to Brooklyn to exercise at the YMCA. All right. So this politician, this mayor is telling telling its residents they can't use natural gas. Right. He has a chauffeured limousine that takes him 11 miles each day to the YMCA. But yet he urges his residents not to buy cars, saying, quote unquote, cars are the past. The future is going to be mass transit, biking and walking. And I love mass transit. Actually, I really do. I wish we had more of it here in Houston. But that should be determined by the market. 
what you definitely want, don't want somebody leading your organization or your state or your city or your country is somebody that's this freaking hypocritical. I mean, you know, and I don't want to go down politics because I had to, I'm sick of politics, but we all are. You know, New York right now needs a strong leader that is anchored in business because that's what's coming next is they're going to start losing a lot of big business it's happening already. And by putting things out like this, I mean, if I was a new business, I was, you know, a new startup that had grown and I was looking at where to headquarter, you know, my operations in the world. And I'm looking at the East and West Coast. I wouldn't pick either one right now in the U.S. just because my future is so uncertain. And I would probably pick something in the Gulf Coast where there's less, so much less political risk, which, by the way, if you are that company, look at Texas. We love y'all. <laughs> All right. The next one actually came from Kurt Armbruster. One of our very loyal listeners. And a street team member. Yeah, and a street team member. SpaceX bought two former Valeris oil rigs to build floating launch pads for its Starship rocket. How freaking cool is that? So it's awesome. The reason I chuckled a little bit while you're reading it is I saw some of the gossip on Twitter and people, come on, do you not have any common sense? My favorite one was this whole group that was saying they're going to take these spar rigs and put them in the Permian and they're using to launch rocket ships from West Texas. And it's like, why would you think somebody would buy an offshore rig? And physically, how do you think they're going to get it to the Permian? That's, yeah, that's why I have this look <laughs> on my face. Like, and, it just, and people are going, yeah, that's what he's doing. And it's like, no. no. So if you think of the history of space travel, I mean, literally, if you're old enough or you've seen the history and you think about the Apollo missions and you think about them splashing down in the ocean, the reason it was set up like that and the reason that in the U.S. Space Command is either in Florida or Texas is two reasons. The closer you get to the equator of the Earth, the faster the Earth is spinning, and you can use that to help launch your spaceship out of our gravity well, right? Right. So it takes less energy to launch closer to the equator, more energy to launch further away from the equator. And Florida and South Texas are as close to the equators you can get in the U.S., more or less. But the other thing is, if you miss your landing and you land in the ocean anyway, your people and your equipment are going to be okay. You use the ocean for its impact absorbing, right? Right. Well, SpaceX has gotten so good they're – AI-controlled rockets can land themselves on land. But still, if you're doing an experiment and something's going wrong, you really be kind of cool to do it in the water. And that way, if it crashes, it doesn't destroy itself. So all they're doing is buying some old spar rigs, retrofitting them to actually use them to take off and land out in the ocean because of a safety factor. And it makes total sense. It makes 100% total sense. And actually, I think it's so cool that two industries that most people wouldn't connect. Now, I've always connected them because I know what all – rockets used for fuel, which are hydrocarbons. But I just I just think it's a great thing. And imagine having a floating space facility out in the Gulf of Mexico somewhere. It makes total sense. And then imagine, and people don't give me the comments about Star Trek, but I really do think somewhere <laughs> down the future, space is going to be a big part of, of mankind's life. But imagine being able to move that around. You may have floating cities built around the business of space. It would just make total sense. And it may start with something as simple as this, Musk buying two spar rigs. Have you seen where there he's talking about drilling for natural gas to fund his, to fuel his rockets? No. Yeah. So it's rumor right now. And the thing about Musk, I've never met the guy. I love a lot of stuff he does. I don't like the fact that he doesn't like our industry, even though he couldn't run his business out of our industry. But I will tell you this much. He is a master using social media to get what he wants. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. As far as like leaking what you think is a rumor, but it's not. It's really helping him with something else down the road. Just you don't know that. And so so we don't know if it's a leak from Musk that he's trying to do it to get something else on social media or if it's legit. But if you look at the amount of hydrocarbons, so the old rocket engines that the whole world has used, including us, basically burns kerosene or, or rocket fuel one it's called which is basically kerosene liquid oxygen and kerosene comes from hydrocarbons but the new generation of rocket engines that are much more efficient that musk has designed actually run on methane which is liquid natural gas right, right? 
So in some ways, if he, and I really do think both Musk and Bezos' future is space. I think what they're doing here, I think what Musk is doing with Tesla and with all the solar stuff and everything is literally just a way to fund his space travels. I think the same thing that Bezos is doing with Amazon and everything else is to fund his space travels. I think both- You know are, he used to step down as CEO. Yes, and... that's a topic for another show. Okay. It just happened yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. But but I really do think that that Musk's sights is solely set on space. And if so, why would you not want to control your own fuel supply? So so I would not be surprised if it's not social I like media him. rumor. Yeah, I would not be surprised if Musk is doing what he always does, is trying to corner the market. I do, would like to talk to him if it's true and he starts going to natural gas production and eventually to convert into LNG for fuel. I would like to ask his opinion on the oil and gas industry at that point. That would be a cool conversation. Maybe we can get him on the show. We can have our people call his people, right? Yeah, we'll have our people call his people. <laughs> All right, next article is Oxy delivers first carbon neutral oil shipment. Yeah, I saw this in my new feed a few days ago, and I did a little diving into this, and it's really fascinating. So first thing is, don't think that Oxy has something magic that nobody else has. What they have is a fantastic marketing department, at least in this case, that have managed to take a bunch of existing technologies, stitch it together in a way that maybe makes financial sense. That's the one thing that nobody's talked about that I can't find out. It's like, do they actually make a profit on this? And they were actually able to offer a carbon neutral oil shipment. Now, that does not mean that no carbon dioxide or no carbon was harmed in the production of those hydrocarbons. What it means is that they measured the amount of carbon dioxide carbon dioxide that was produced during these operations, and then they mitigated it in a bunch of different ways. And so this is a a group inside of Oxy called OLCV, Oxy Low Carbon Ventures. And it's really interesting. So one of the things they're doing in the Permian is they have a mechanical carbon capture device that captures carbon dioxide out the air, which nobody has ever proven to me that's financially viable. It's expensive to do that, but maybe they know something I don't know. So they use their what they're doing is they're pulling about half of the carbon dioxide that this shipment would have used. They're go, in the next six months pull out the air and then they're going to use it for carbon dioxide well stimulation. So they're still benefiting from the carbon dioxide because they're going to inject it in a reservoir to help with the enhanced oil recovery. And then the other quarter of the carbon dioxide that was emitted, they're mitigating by basically pumping money and water into prairie areas of the world so the grass will grow so it'll pull carbon dioxide out the air and then finally they made sure that their operations were very ship shaped no methane leaks very efficient motors and pumps and everything so it's really interesting to take a bunch of different processes and technologies and be able to mathematically show that this oil shipment is carbon neutral i am firmly convinced that at least at this point this early on this is a pr marketing stunt i would love to know the financials so if you work for oxy or if you work for oxy low carbon ventures Reach out to me. I would love to know if you actually made a dollar on this or did you lose money? And it's okay if you lose money in the beginning because it's an experiment, right? I'm not going to say that you did it just for marketing reasons, but I definitely marketing and PR is an investor relations is a part of this. But I would like to know, is this something that's going to be financially viable in the future somewhere? And remember, Paige, we talked about on my predictions, how you now can figure out where those hydrocarbons come from so you can make sure they're sourced responsibly and people will then be able to make a choice on buying fuel or I can't say makeup anymore because I got to chastise it. Buying fuel or tennis rackets or sneakers that come from responsibly sourced hydrocarbons versus ones that aren't. Right. Here's another take on that exact thing. If Oxy's right about this and they can pull it off and it's financial, somewhere in the future, consumers like you and I will make a decision on whether we want to 
buy stuff made from hydrocarbons that are carbon neutral or not because it costs a little bit more. So it's just really interesting to see where this thing goes. Hats off to Oxy. They've had a really, really, really rough time. And for them to do something like this while they're still digging themselves out of a hole, I think takes a lot of a lot of gumption. So, so hats off to them. And then, like I said, if anybody works at Oxy and can let me know, and it could be private, I don't have to share it. You know, did you make a dollar or did you break even or did this, did this shipment, first shipment cost you some money? I'd love to know that. All right. So the next one is the Biden administration pulls drilling permits. Yeah, we talked about this earlier in other news article. This is, you know, once again, the Department of Interior saying that, hey, you know, these permits that, w- that were given to you legally, well, 70 of them were issued improperly and we're going to pull them back. No review, no saying what the improper issuing was, but it's a temporary order from the, the Interior Department to pull any permit that is not perfect back and say they were issued improperly. And it's just a way for the, the Interior Department to go along with our new administration's policy and try to limit the amount of drilling for the next 60 days. Now, the kind of nice thing is companies aren't being fined if they drill under one of these permits. They're just told they have to stop operations whenever they're told. Well, but, they're also getting a chance to resubmit. Oh, operators have been notified that those applications for permits to drill must be resubmitted or for appropriate and timely review. Interior continues to approve permits and will transmit final decisions as soon as possible. Okay, so it's not as bad as I thought it was. Right. So this is good. This is also touching offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, I believe, whereas what we talked about earlier, I think, was land permits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once again, our current administration is doing what it thinks its constituents want, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. And it's just not good for our industry. So, you know, as always, we'll keep an eye on this just just to see where this thing goes. Yeah. And at the very end of it, it says the permit changes are separate from the government pause on new oil and gas leasing that was ordered by Biden on Wednesday. That leasing moratorium doesn't affect permitting and other activity on existing oil and gas leases. Oh, that's awesome. Good. Right. So it's not as bad as it looks, as the title makes it look. Right. Well, I mean, it's just pretty general title. All right. So last article is energy companies sue president for suspending oil and gas leases on federal land. Western Energy Alliance. Mm -hmm. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really love you. So Western Energy Alliance said, you know what? This isn't right. We're going to court now. They put together about 200 companies that not only stand to be impacted negatively like this, but also can fund the fight because now you're suing the federal government, which is never cheap. And basically they're saying you're supposed to do what's right for the country, and this suspension of permits is both arbitrary and capricious, and it's not according to the law. And so the courts should find the suspension invalid. And I'm not an attorney, although I've played one on TV before. And what? I, I, I have played – none of that played an attorney on TV. I've actually played an attorney in a courtroom, and I got asked where I went to law school. And I actually won the fight I was in. And when the DA asked where I went to law school, I said YouTube, which is really where I learned how to fight the case. And he looked at me square in the face and he goes, is that in Pennsylvania? What? This DA did not know what YouTube was. And this oh is a, this is a few years ago. But yeah. Oh. anyway, I'm not an attorney, people. But but I have been in court and won several times. Long story. Anyway, so so what's cool about this, if you go back and actually read the declaration and you read the charter of the Bureau of Land Management, and of course, I'm, I have a bias and I can't pull the bias. I can't get around with my own bias. But I think the Western Energy Alliance has a very strong case to stand upon. Because literally, our current administration said they're doing this, and they're doing this when they get elected, and they're doing this to help protect the public. It does not follow the, the rule of law, 
right? It is completely arbitrary. It's no different than I would have walked in and said, look, everybody that has blonde hair, you're fired, right? So um, big support of Western Energy Alliance. If anybody's from Western Energy Alliance and we as an oil and gas global network can help you either with exposure or helping you get in touch with people to bring to testify or any of that stuff, let us know. I am fully behind you and I would love to help support this suit because it's just wrong. Amen. All right. Mark, let's tell them about the giveaway. Okay. You know what's cool about the giveaway page? What's that? It's free. Every week. (laughs) Every week. It's this really cool shirt. We spent money on it. It's cut for both men and women. It has an antique pump jack on the front. It has our logo on one sleeve, IBM's logo on the other sleeve. The most important thing on where the chest pocket would be is a unique serial number. That unique serial number we set up to give away some really cool stuff. And for some reason... Last year, we weren't able to give away much, but still, that unique serial number. We've had one winner, and I really need to ship that. It got caught up. So I just finished taking all my Christmas decorations. I know it's February, people. But anyway, it kind of got mixed up in all that, so I'll get that out this week. Yeah, but still, that unique serial number is very valuable. IBM and I and OGGM have some really big stuff that's coming this year, and those numbers are going to play a part in that. So if you want to win one, Open the app that you're listening to this show on, scroll up or left, depending if you're Android or iOS, find the link, click on it, fill it out. If you don't win, enter every week because you can enter every week. And it's just like a really, really awesome, cool shirt. You know what else, Paige? What's that? I heard it actually protects you from bad weather. What? I heard it actually protects you from bad weather. What does that mean? I had one of our shirt winners reach out to me and said, hey, look, I had this shirt in the back of my car in a box because I was going to bring it to a place to get, you know, they preserve wedding dresses. Uh He was going to do that. And he was with his girlfriend. And evidently some snowstorm came through and she was cold. And so he went in the back and he got the shirt and he gave it to her and it made her warm. I go, hey, I didn't know this shirt protects you in bad weather. (laughs) So if you also need protection in bad weather, that's another reason to get this shirt. (laughs) Weekly rig count page. Where are we? Okay, so the U.S. is actually up six, so 384. Canada is up two at 174, and internationally, we are down four at 665. It's a good place, considering yeah. where we are. Yeah, no kidding. LinkedIn, just go LinkedIn, search OGGN, and join everything that pops up. I do have something new that happened. What? So I had on LinkedIn, I had, a, I believe, a young students group in India basically call me out in a nice way and say, hey, look, there's nobody doing an Indian oil and gas podcast. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And they tagged me on it. And so I replied back saying, you want to try it? Let's see if we can do it. And so I'm trying an experiment to see if we can crowdsource an Indian oil and gas podcast. Hmm. If you have an interest in helping in some fashion, I created an OGG and Indian oil and gas podcast group. It's a planning group. And so go join the group. You can find it. Just search for OGGN and it should pop up Indians Oil and Gas Podcast Planning. And what I'm trying to do is if I can get enough people together that have enough contacts, we can put together stories. We can put together hosts. We can put together sponsor companies. And this will truly be our first crowdsourced podcast. And then also then after that, I caught flack from people in Russia and in China and Argentina and Brazil saying, why are you only doing an Indian Oil and Gas Podcast? So I had to let all those people know, let me crowdsource this one and if that model works, and I'm still not sure it'll work, then we'll crowdsource other country oil and gas podcasts. So let's start with the first one. So if you want to help me stand up at any oil and gas podcast, go join the group. And like I said, we haven't done this before. It's an experiment. So I don't even know what I'm going to ask you to do, but at least we have a common goal. We're all in the same group. We Oh, yay. More work for Paige. Communicate with everybody. Then speaking of more work <laughs> for Paige, and we talked about our event coming up February 18th. If you want to get all the oil and gas events and in-person events are starting to very slowly open up. Go sign up for our monthly oil and gas events email. It's free. We put it in your inbox once a month. We never spam you. 
Also, if you'd like myself or any of the OGG and team to come speak at your event virtually or in person, let me know. We'll share the details with you. And then, you know, the first Friday Q&A, that's right around the corner. That's next week, in fact. Next week. That's where you ask questions and we try to answer. And remember, the goal is to educate everybody, not to stump Paige and I. We got some interesting questions. <laughs> I haven't even looked. Week. So We always get interesting questions. But anyway, so audiences, you know, before we sign off, once again, I just want to thank all of y'all. Paige, myself, and the entire OGG and crew could have never gotten here without your help. It brings me to tears to think that we've hit over a million downloads for the show. And Paige, if our trajectory continues on the path that it is right now, guess what? It's going to happen by June. What? We'll be at 2 million downloads by June. Are you serious? If our trajectory continues where it is now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? That's I can't even wrap my head around yeah. that. Yeah. So audiences, wow. from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Ready to get out of here? Yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for February 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the TAMU SBE Sporting Clays Tournament at Tonkaway Ranch in College Station on the 19th, and the Thrive Energy Conference at Minute Maid Park from the 24th to the 26th. The only online event we have this month is the TAMU SPE Executive Series with our very own Mark LaCour of Oil & Gas This Week on the 26th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for February. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil and Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.